What have I done? (laughs) Inspired by a book on preaching this summer, I asked for sermon topics. In the spirit of free pulpit in our democratic traditions as a church, I encouraged everyone to pose a question expressing what is the most burning moral issue of our time. I ended up with a healthy, challenging list of 22 questions from do bees matter to How can gun violence be eliminated? To today's sermon topic, are people truly created equal? I I didn't ask people to sign their names, so we don't know who wants to know. (laughs) This experiment in blind collaboration means trusting if one person thinks a question matters, others will as well. Or at the same time, if it's a question no one else thought to ask, we're better off for having examined an individual person's concern. We are one and we are many. Are people truly created equal? Great question. My first impulse is to turn to science. Ah, you have trained me. To look for a biologically-based answer, we are single species, homo sapiens. On a chromosomal level, we are practically the same. The genomes of any two individuals on the planet are more than 99.5% the same. Put another way, less than half of a percent of our DNA varies across the globe. We're seemingly identical. But we can't help observe, can't help but observe how different we are by appearance. Our eyes tell us one thing and science tells us another. We can clearly see the different colors of our skin, hair, our eyes, yet science shows there's no biological basis for differences labeled race. Most importantly, we assume these outward visible variations linked to morals and character or capacity. And I'll say it is in as many ways as I can. Race is a social construct and not a biological one. Alan Goodman, he's a professor of biological anthropology, and he puts it this way. Scientists have actually been saying for quite a while that race as biology doesn't exist, that there's no biological basis for race. And that is in the facts of biology, the facts of non-concordance. Non-concordance, the facts of continuous variation, the recentness of our evolution, the way we all commingle and come together, how genes flow. So most variation occurs within race versus between races or among races, suggesting there's no way to generalize about race. There's no center there. There's no there, there, 
in the center. It's fluid. But what about all the ways we seem so different? Our coloring, our height, our temperament. The idea of race, of course, assumes that there are set boundaries between races, but we know that's untrue. You know, there's no racial boundary that's ever been found. Any trait that one looks at, one tends to see a gradual variation from from one group to another. The facts of human variation are that it's continuous. It's not lumped into three or four or five racial groups. But think about race and its universality or lack thereof. Where is your measurement device? There's no way to measure race first. We sometimes do it by skin colors. Others may do it by hair texture. Others may have the dividing lines different in terms of color. What's black in the United States is not what's black in Brazil or what's black in South Africa. What's black in the 1940s is different from black of 2015. There's been an evolution of whiteness. What was white in the 1920s in the United States, a Jew was not white then, and they're white now. So white has changed tremendously. So contrary to our increasing body of knowledge about genetics, we've inherited and still build overlapping social systems and cultural habits and legal regulations and geographic boundaries using these inconsistent, inaccurate markers for purposes of profit, of domination, of fear, of social control, as well as for comfort and community. We've created complex settlement patterns, social policies, laws, historical interpretations, business decisions, curricula, medical research based on race. So many throughout history, both well-intentioned and not, have answered the question, are people truly created equal with a resounding no? And one of those no's is a misunderstanding about race. No, we're not created equal. And the results of that particular no are tragic. Lives limited and wasted over generations. Undeveloped potential turns into bitterness and rage. And race, of course, isn't the only social construct used to divide the gifts of our common humanity of our 99.5% genetic similarities. We misassign inequality based on gender and age, clothing, income, religion, (laughs) lack of religion. Except this individual and collective power of imagination 
enabling us to divide humanity into categories is exactly the place I want to look for answering today's question in a different way. It is with this extraordinary collective creativity and vision we can best answer the question. What scientists have discovered through biology and genetics is actually how quickly humans evolve. They used to think we weren't evolving, and now they've discovered, oh, actually, au contraire. We are creative, adaptive machines. In fact, one of the hallmarks of humans is that we're flexible. We are built with this very flexible brain and flexible structure that lets us go into a whole lot of new situations without needing to genetically adapt. We're kind of like the Swiss army knife of species. <laughs> we can apply culture and ideas to conquer different environments. When we go into the cold, we don't just need to grow hair. We just need to find a buffalo skin to put on. Or better yet, we invent central heating. <laughs> so because of all the tightly woven layers of influences in our lives, it's really difficult to judge whether someone is the same or whether each one of us, from the point we are only five dividing cells in utero, are created equal. We may know something about that, the DNA of that cluster of cells, but oh, we cannot predict the outcome of the potential person. From seeing the photographs of marks, we can visibly observe in each person how fate, circumstance, culture, and experience impact them from birth. So if we combine science's lessons about how much we are biologically the same with our astounding capacity for adaptability, we can craft a culture shaping each of us to answer the question with a resounding yes. We can create social systems to interrupt what we see with our eyes. We can use our Swiss army knife flexible brains to peel away the unscientific, destructive cultural veneer. For example, what many religions and cultural myths do is allow us to envision the world we want to live in. The stories from our own Jewish and Christian traditions tap into our imaginations and fuel our flexibility. Fables from other religions and lands enable us to see other options. Our brains become Swiss Army knives loaded, those ones that are really thick, loaded with tools and blades. These stories help us to answer the question with yes. And this affirmative yes is vital because it affects how we treat everyone, how we vote, how we care for the environment, and how we raise our children.
a religious corollary to are we truly created equal is who is my neighbor? If I don't see my neighbor as worthy, as an equal, then how can I expect the world to treat me? We can use the classic story of the Good Samaritan as an example of a myth that belongs in our Swiss Army knives. It tells of those tribal differences, describes who is willing to aid a man beaten and robbed along an ancient highway. A Jewish priest and Levite, they both cross the road to avoid coming into contact with the hurt man. Maybe they're in a rush, don't have the right tools to help him, scared. But the Samaritan, when he comes along, is moved to pity and bandages his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine on them. He hoists him onto his own animal, and he even takes him to an inn, pays for the lodging and care. The Samaritan is answering yes to being equal despite tribal and visible differences. And the attraction of the Samaritan story is that he's an everyday person and hence a surprising hero. He's like us, an equal treating others the same. He's a surprising hero because Jews and Samaritans historically were enemies. So this classic fable allows us to envision life anew, where people treat others truly as equals, showing compassion. If we identify with the person in the ditch, and we've all been there, and may be there today, ailing in seen and unseen ways. What we want is not the priest or the Levite who answers our burning question with a no and passes us by. What we want is the Samaritan who, not knowing anything about us, assumes we're equals and is willing to treat us as neighbors, as family, as beloved equals. So relying on this fertile, creative, religious imagination, there's a rabbinic tale that tells this very same story, but from the point of view of the priest and the Levite. And it comes from the Babylonian Talmud. And the Talmud is the ancient book that serves as the basis of all the codes for Jewish law. So consider how this flipped-on-its-head version extends our question of equality. It is related of Nahum of Gamzu that he was blind in both eyes, his two hands and legs were amputated, and his whole body was covered with boils. And he was lying in a dilapidated house on a bed the feet of which were standing in bowls of water in order to prevent the ants from crawling on him. On one occasion, his disciples desired to move the bed and then clear the things out of the house, but he said to them, My children, first 
clear out the things from the house, and then remove my bed, for I'm confident that so long as I'm in the house, it will not collapse. They first cleared out the things, and they removed his bed, and the house immediately collapsed. Thereupon, his disciples said to him, Master, since you are wholly righteous, why has all this befallen you? And he replied, I brought it on myself. Once I was journeying on the road and was making for the house of my father-in-law, and I had with me three donkeys, one laden with food, one laden with drink, and one with all kinds of dainties. And when a poor man met me and stopped me on the road and said to me, Master, give me something to eat. I replied to him, Wait, wait, until I've unloaded something from the donkey. I had hardly managed to unload the donkey when the man died from hunger. I then went and laid myself on him and exclaimed, May I, my eyes, which had no pity upon your eyes, become blind. May my hands, which had no pity upon your hands, be cut off. May my legs, which had no pity upon your legs, be amputated. And my mind was not at rest until I added, May my whole body be covered with boils. Thereupon his pupils exclaimed, Alas, that we see you in such a sore plight. To this he replied, Woe! Would it be to me, did you not see me in such a sore plight? In other words, let my choices be a lesson to you. Let my suffering show you what answering no to are you truly created equal does to us. This Simple oral folktale reminds us when we hesitate to see others as equals, when we treat based on what we see, the way they dress, the tribe to which they belong, the pigmentation of their skin, the age and hunch of their body, their station in life, it makes life unbearable. So the question our anonymous hope member asks of us is should we always take the risk, there's risk, involved in treating fellow humans as equals? Yes. I want to live in a city and attend a church where we muster our courage to ignore the cultural overlays that scream no. I want my boils gone and neighbor yours too. I want my arms and legs back. I want to learn over and over again what it means to treat every single person as equal, truly equal. May it be so.